Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today, I am sitting down to have a discussion with one of the most joyful communicators that I could think of. Our guest today is the host of a Greater Story podcast and radio show and the author of his new book, A Greater Story, My Plan, Your Purpose, and Our Place in God's Plan. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise in your car, in your kitchen, your bathroom, or wherever else you might find yourself tuned in for Mr. Sam Collier. Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Trevor, listen, I'm excited to be with the man with the plan and... uh <laughs> I know we've run into each other in, in many instances. And I know as soon as we jumped on, I said, wait a minute, brother, have we done this before? I mean, I feel like I, we know it. Like, what is that? He was like, yeah. And then you named all the play. I'm like, yes, that's exactly where we were. And uh, so it's just good to connect with you and to see um, everything that God has done in your life, man, over these years, you've just, you've become a brand and, you know, mm-hmm. so many other things have taken place and I'm honored to be on here with you. No, thank you so much, man. And you know, it's funny because the first time we met at Jimmy Cravity's event, I was like, who's this guy? He's got so much energy. I need to meet this guy. And just to hear the story that has taken place throughout your life. And how old are you now? Are you 29? 20? Yeah. Yep. So God's brought you so, so far. 32? 32. Nah, you don't look a day over 22, man. (laughs) So, dude, just thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with me. It's so, it's been a long time coming. I'm excited to just sit down and have a discussion. And I'm super excited for people to maybe even hear about a greater story for the first time. So, can we just start with that? Where did a greater story come from? Bro, it came from North Point. It started at North Point Ministries. Um, at the Gwinnett Church location. And North Point is ministry founded by Andy Stanley. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeff Henderson was running at that time. He just resigned a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Gwinnett, he built the Buckhead location and then moved to the Gwinnett mm-hmm. location. He was in sports marketing for a long time at Chick-fil-A. So he's really great at planting, at building, at marketing, at, at um, creating, duplicating so he's really kind of their, their, I guess, most successful church planner within their network. Mm, and okay. in the Winnet location, um, he heard about some things that happened in my life, which we'll talk about in a second. And he said, man, you got to come tell the story. And I told the story and the whole idea was about individuals telling their stories and their testimonies. And the series was called Cast Member. And Cast Member was the idea that God is telling this grand narrative, this kind of like a movie. And we're all characters. We're all cast members in this story. And we all have a different role to play. And so the tagline for the series was when your story connects to God's story, it leads to a greater story. Mm. And many people don't know that backstory, but um, that's from that moment. I told my story and I kind of made that the bottom line. And here's, here's the deal about Jeff. Here's the thing about Jeff. You know, one time they offered him to be over all marketing at Chick-fil-A Worldwide, which is just insane. He said, no, I thought he was crazy, but it's fine. And <laughs> he uh, he speaks in marketing language, like everything's a brand, everything he mm-hmm. says. And he doesn't even realize. So, so he comes up with taglines like that every five minutes. And so this was like his, you know, 1,000th tagline. And I said, Jeff... You're just going to let this go out the door. It's going to be a a three-part series. We're never going to hear it from you again. Let me have it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything with this. I said, I know. Let me have it. I'm going to take the last part and turn it into a brand, a greater story. And I'm going to take the tagline. He's like, fine, great. And uh, I took it, man. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, it was kind of cool because it was, you know, you knew it was going to work because Jeff came up with it. Yeah. Um, and then it just became a life mantra mm. and became a podcast and became a television show and became uh, this book that yes. oh, there it is right there. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> became this book that just released on Baker Publishing called A Greater Story. Um, and, and here we are. Yeah. So God's been working on you for quite a long time. And I think the most intriguing part that really just gripped me and like had me in tears was exactly what you shared with Steve Harvey. The moment that y'all shared together on that show, which if anybody's listening to this and for some reason has not seen that clip, go check it out. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and what led to you becoming the same color you are today? Yeah, man. I, um, there was this moment on the Steve Harvey show that Jeff, um, and then eventually Andy, uh, would ask me to continue to share at the many campuses that North Point has, um, this moment where we reunite, uh, with our biological family and, Mm. uh, for the first time after 25 years. And it was insane. And the journey to kind of that moment started when my mother was 21 and she had, me and my twin sister, and she had three other kids, my brothers and sisters, same mother, same father, extreme poverty. And our dad, our dad left the picture because he was addicted to a lot of drugs, a lot of substance abuse. And uh, so here's, here's my mom with five kids at age 21 faced with a decision. Do I raise them in poverty or do I give them up for adoption? Cause I don't even have enough money to take care of the three I already have. And, mm-hmm. um, so she gives us up for adoption, man, and hopes that everything will work out. And we get adopted by a lovely couple after about two months that met in Washington, D.C. at 3 p.m. in the laundromat. And my mother, who raised me, who adopted me, was in the laundromat because she needed an alibi because the night before, her ex-husband now, um, at the time, had hit her in the head with a hammer. And she got up the next morning saying, by any means necessary, I need to get out of this marriage. So she's walking around the laundromat with a gun in her purse, getting ready to go kill her ex-husband, <laughs> who was her husband at the time, and runs into my dad, who adopted me and raised And he's just in there walking around washing clothes. He's in the middle of his second divorce. And so he meets her, and she's looking crazy because she's got this gun. And they walk out together. She ends up getting a divorce. He gets his divorce. And they give their life to Christ for the first time. Mm. And they realize my mother can't have kids because they get married and, you know, all these things. So they leave Washington, D.C., go down to Atlanta, Georgia, and go drive an hour to Augusta where we had just been given up for adoption. Wow. And um, walk over to our crib and they said, we want them. And so the lady who's running the home is like, no, you don't want them. They're probably not going to be much. Mm because of where they come from, addiction, poverty. Some of the adoption papers say that they found my mother or trace some of her steps back to a prostitution house. So prostitution, all type. Don't know if she was doing a living there, but um, so they're like, you don't want to get them. And mm-hmm. so my parents hear from God and God says to them, no, you do. These are your kids. They're going to be okay. So they adopt us anyway, bro. And 
raise us. And my sister gets all A's from kindergarten up to 12th grade, becomes an industrial engineer, right? Spelman, Georgia Tech grad. And, you know, I'm me. And they're so, not gonna do nothing. They ain't gonna do nothing. You don't want those kids, right? Man, <laughs> I mean, at that point, it just makes me think: how many people go to adopt a child and are told that actually don't adopt that child, and that child ends up wow. It, it, it just depends. Like, obviously, every situation is different, but they could have easily just took that lady's advice. Like, oh, she's a professional. Might as well just go find the two kids that look like they're going to have it all together. But as we know, like, it, looks don't tell everything. Like, you can't, I mean, you could base right. your book off the cover because it's a dope cover, but... everybody has different opinions on things and your parents could have easily walked away from that crib and left you and your twin there, but they didn't. And God used that. And it's just so ironic to me. And it keeps coming back into my head. Like I can't imagine being someone that's ready to adopt a child and having someone tell me that the child that God told us to get isn't good enough. Yeah. It's true, bro. And it's it's interesting that you say that because you're right. There are many. And can we just be honest? There are so many horror stories that mothers of adopted kids have and foster care children. Have, I mean, foster care families have of just, you know, things not working out and there being a ton of trauma and a ton of so many different things obviously because of the separation and I mean, there's so many. And so they, it, it was a very real possibility that this woman, right. Um, was, was telling the truth. Like they're not going to be much. We've seen this story, which no one should say, right. Cause you don't know mm-hmm. what the outcome is going to be. You don't know what God is going to do and you don't know what's on somebody's life. So you don't, I mean, you should never say count anyone out. Um, but because of the history of our country and in all stories, you know, they, they really could have counted us out, but heard from the Lord that we had been chosen and, and set apart for, for the works of of the ministry, you know, very similar to, uh, is it Samuel, right? Like he's been chosen, Mm -hmm. like set apart and Hannah and, you know, gave him up and, and uh, talk to, you know, the, the prophet at the time talked to the mother about he's, hey, he's, you know, he, he's he's been set apart. So, yeah. yeah, bro. Dude, that's phenomenal. And it's just super unique to hear all these stories and so much more in your book. What inspired you to share all of this, like so vulnerably in this book? Yeah, man. Um, one, I had a uh, <laughs> I hired what you call a collaborator, which um she's written a ton of books. She didn't write the book per se. I hired her to help me think mm-hmm. and help me structure and help. Cause I'm not, I'm not her. I mean, she's, it's like, you have the story, but there, there comes a time and a place where like you need somebody to help you craft that thing together. Like you have the blueprint, but you have to put it all yeah. together. That's what she did. Oh yeah. Like she's like, ah, nobody's going to care about that. Yeah. <laughs> right. She's like, <laughs> you're pouring right. your heart out. She's like, nah, we're good. We got enough. She's like, nah, don't, don't put that in the book. Like I had an outline. I had five sections. She was like, ah, let's do three. You know, like I had this mall, like, Hey, maybe she said, no, nobody's gonna care about that. And then there was stuff I was downplaying. She was like, no, you need to write about that. Like, mm. 
That's hey. the part that people are going to care. And so I'm sitting in the room. Her name's Ashley Wiersma. We're going back and forth. And um, she's, she's just saying to me, like, you need to tell this part. Like, you need to go vulnerable here. You need to let this cat out the bag. You need, I mean, just all of these things. And um, so when you talk about the vulnerability, like I was going to be vulnerable, but not as vulnerable as yeah. when we sat down and talked. She said, no, Sam, like you got to, in my experience of writing books, in my experiences of working with authors, in my, this is what people want to know. And, um, and so she really helped me um, be transparent and be open. But I think even beyond that, man, you know, one of the things that we're learning, even in the church in this day and age, is that vulnerability is a superpower. Yeah. That, you know, I asked a fr- my, actually my assistant, I asked my, I'll tell you about, it. she's a millennial and she is, <laughs> she is, she almost is like almost Gen Z, but she's like right at that, that you know, millennial, but Hispanic, um, Nicaraguan. <laughs> I got to get it right. And um, I said to her, because, you know, and we'll talk in a second. We know we're planning this church and we're doing some things mm-hmm. coming up soon. I said, what kind of pastor do you think I'm going to be? <laughs> right? I'm just like having this. Oh, right. Because I'm like, who let me get in the pulpit? Right. And so and she says to me, she said, you know, you know, she made a bunch of jokes. She's like, you think you're going to be crazy. But then she said, you know, I think you're going to be somebody that's going to be so real that it's easy for people to find themselves in the gospel because mm. of how real and vulnerable. And my wife's way more vulnerable than me. Like she's, Bro, you, she's the bomb, right? <laughs> she, she's the bomb. She, uh, it, it should be her show, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> look, you have to get her on the next one. Bring her back around. You know what I'm saying? Bro, come on. I'm like, let's do it today. I got you. I'm a game. <laughs> Right. So she like she will tell you what, what she ate for dinner last night. Like, like it's just uh, like, well, before I came here, I had a moment. I was angry. You know, like she's going to tell yeah. you what's going on. But there's a power in that. And so mm. I think we try to, as a family, just be as vulnerable as possible without obviously being, you know, airing everything out in the street. Yeah. You know, some things you need to keep. Some people don't want to. Yeah. Know, so it's like, OK, your diet. OK. Mm. <laughs> it's like yeah. some people want to know. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, you got to use the restaurant. It's like, OK. So, um, but we try to be as open as possible. So I think for me, I I, I was hoping that in the vulnerability, people would find themselves and find hope. Mm. Dude, I love that so much. And the whole book is just mapping around the idea that God is always writing a greater story. Yeah. How I know there's been moments in your career where you're just like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, this doesn't feel like it's doing anything right now, but how do how do you keep that mentality going even in the hard moments? Like those moments where you don't want to keep going, yeah. where you don't see the church plant panning out, um, and just all of the excuses that then make a lie in your yeah. head, right? So yeah. how do you keep yourself motivated to keep telling yourself and even telling other people? Because I know that can be hard at times too. If you don't see God painting that story right now, it could be hard to share that with people at times, I could imagine. So how do you keep that mentality that God is always writing a greater story? Wow. <laughs> Especially during this time, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, it's pandemic, bro. Yeah, like, I think, bro, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. Um, but I, I think when it comes to, you know, the interpretation of scripture and the gospel and of God and how God works, and which is a mystery, right? Mm. I think that 
for me where I have settled. And this is just me. This may not be everyone else. I try to advise people this way, but where I have settled and how I move with God is that, you know, I love the statement. You pray like it depends on him and you work like it depends on you. Mm. And I think for me, that has been one of the greatest principles that has served me at the highest level in my years, because you know that, you know, life isn't perfect and we all find ourselves going, God, what is happening and where are you and and how do you want me to move and so on and so forth? And what I found is that the best thing to do, because I used to be, all right, let me, I used to struggle. Like, let me wait on God. Like, let me just, and then you end up doing nothing and you're, and then it's like, well, faith without works. And you're like, whoa. Right. And we, we all know those people that they're waiting on God to be who they're supposed to be. Mm. And, and, you know, many people think God is many times waiting on us and we got to give them something to work with. I think for me, what I found is that if, if I can, if I can work, like it all depends on me, I would rather God literally shut the door and me be at my lowest and then not do anything and just be sitting there wondering what does God want to do? And if, is it me or is it him? It's like, no, I know how to get this done. I'm going to do everything I can. And I'm going to pray like it all depends on him. And as I have done that, bro, I've always seen, lack of a better phrase, the victory that he would want for me to see. And so it, it either leads to two things. Either I learn something on the way to the no, mm-hmm. or I find the yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think in this season, I think we got to work like it depends on us to get us out of this pandemic, but also we got to pray and lean on God and leave room for him to do what ultimately he wants to do. And in many cases, he will shut the doors that we're not supposed to walk through. Yeah. Um, But he'll also open the doors that we are supposed to walk to. But if you don't get up and walk, then you'll never know what the door is. Mm. And so that's what I found. You know, I think for me that that's how I maintain hope. It's how I maintain, um, a security, a sense of security and a sense of faith in God, man. I move like it all depends on me and wait on him. Yeah. And I know for a fact, like there's those days you wake up and you're like, man, like this ain't working out. I need to go find me a job at Publix. Like, I don't know what's going on. So with you being on the flip side of what your dreams were and what they are now, when you sit down and think about it, like you're about to launch a church, you have a book out those days where you're like, why did I even do this? When you've been on this journey that God's been leading you on, has there been defining moments that you're like, I couldn't have got here without God, but why did he choose me? And if somebody out there is listening and maybe they're a church planner or they want to write a book or God's just pulling something on their heart, how would you encourage them to pursue through that? Wow. Big question. Um, (laughs) I think, um, one of the greatest defining moments for me was when I was 21. There were a couple, but, um, I was 21 and I remember walking down the street in Pasadena, California, because I was in the middle of a record deal and specifically a lawsuit. Mm. And really feeling as if I had given my life to music. 
I had a ton of deals and, and I think you knew me or knew of me when I was doing music. And uh, a lot of people asked me, they're like, well, you're not doing music anymore. I mean, that was my life. That's how I know we talked about Jimmy Cravity and the relationship there. Me and him met, I met him when he was Maurice and, <laughs> and no Jimmy in sight. And he would wear cargo pants and a t-shirt and guitar and just sit in the back of the studio. And, um, and so I had given my life to me. So I, here I am walking down the street in Pasadena, nothing's working out with music. And for the first time in my life, I felt like God was asking me to do something else. Mm. And that was a difficult moment because it was the moment that I had to choose between my dreams or God's dream for me. Hmm. And I think that that is where we often find ourselves in life, consistently confronting our desires versus God's desires for us. Hmm. And I think when you're able, and that's not easy to choose his desires over yours his direction over yours, his occupations over yours. You find purpose. You find the place that you will look. And there is, again, this church plan is his plan over mine. I didn't want to, I had other plans. I was moving. A greater story was booming, is booming. I'm like, I'm trapped. I'm on a book tour right now. I want to stay on this book tour for the next eight years. Like, this is just like, but God arrested me one day and said, I want you to plant this church. And I was just like, I don't want to plant a church. There's already enough churches. Why? Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he spoke to me through Tony and my wife who came to me one day and said, I don't, we don't have, you know, like there's a, there's a certain type of church that I think we need to feel at home. And that is, and that's not knocking any other church or North Point because North Point was our home for a very long time. I just think there was a season in our life where we started asking a different question. At first it was, how do we do ministry in an innovative and um, non-believer friendly way? And now we're asking, how do we deal with being black in America? And how do we live a multicultural life and also have white friends and have this spirit filled, you know, just a different type of church. Hmm. There are many different types of churches and for many different personalities, they need different things. Our personality is one that is much more expressive while the target of a North point is different than what we necessarily um, uh, gravitate towards. It's, it's more, and, and Andy will tell you, you know, the goal of North point is for the non-believer is really for the atheist, yeah. the atheist. And so he's going after that. And so for us, you know, Tony said, you know, we need a home and, uh, and that's how we got here. And so God, again, trading my desires for his. And at, I think if people can do that at every juncture, then they'll find what they're actually looking for, which mm-hmm. is, they, I, I think everybody out there that believes in God wants to be in the center of his will. Sure. We all want to just, Okay, God, I know I have this other more, but more than what I want to do, I want to be right where you want me to be. And many times that is often where we don't want to be. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> and so it wars. Yeah. And so this whole path that you're walking now was not on your radar. It's right. completely, I would almost say, 
completely opposite of what you were pursuing record deal whole nine yards. But I think one of the really cool things about what you and Tony do is your enthusiasm, but also the way you communicate with one another, um, the way you communicate, not even only on stage, we have mutual friends. There's like Tony and Sam, like they're humble about everything that's going on, but you also know, like God's given them a heart to lead together. Yeah. A lot of people think of, oh, I'm gonna write a book. I'm gonna write this. I'm gonna write that. Like, what is it like working with your wife <laughs> at that close of a level, especially with yeah. being on a public platform? Yeah. It, it has, there has to be those moments like, obviously, every marriage isn't perfect, but yeah. you walk through it together, yeah. hand in hand. And I mean, I've never heard anything negative about either one of you, but it's just, it's, it's amusing to see and encouraging for me to see as a Christian single believer that like, there are still people that are couples like married for a long time, walking hand in hand in ministry. How do you keep that up? Yeah, man. (laughs) Great question. I think our counselor doesn't give us permission to do certain things. (laughs) You have to ask her permission before you do everything. Right. She's like, like, even with the church, she's yeah. like, mm-mm, mm-mm. she said, y'all need to do the church, but you, y'all need your own space. Split like, it up. Like you need Sam, if you're going to run, like y'all can both co-lead and preach and from the platform, but in terms of running the staff in terms of certain things like Sam, if you either you need to be CEO or she needs to be CEO. But the two of you together can't be CEOs um, based on your wiring. You kill each other. <laughs> she was just like. <laughs> Going to be walking around a laundromat with a gun. Right. Like she's like, y'all like she's like, and this and it's OK. She said it's OK for y'all to both need your own space. Mm-hmm. She said, and so that's what she even like. She she made strict parameters around. Here's 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 the best way based on your wiring, your personality for you to control or for you to come together um, so that you don't control each other. Here's something that she said. She said, you know, when the pandemic happened, you'll like this story. This is funny. When the pandemic happened, you know, where everybody was in the house, she said, Mm -hmm. couples are going to come out two ways. Either they're going to be stronger or they're going to (laughs) divorce. She was like, cause you're together all the time. Mm -hmm. And so she told us, you know, she said, here's what I want y'all to do. She said, when y'all get up in the morning, one of you needs to go to another side of the house and own, own that side and another to own the other side. Mm. And she said, you need to create your own routine in the house as if you are going to different places. Sure. She said, and you, because you need your own world. She said, because the, based on how you guys are wired, y'all are wired both to lead. So you need to have your own control over your space. And you need your outlets to control your different things. She's, and she said, and here's why. If you don't have outlets to control your worlds, you'll try to control each other when you come at the end. It was brilliant. And so we had that conversation. And so we outlined the thing and it was, and she was right. Like, you know, you try to control little stuff. It's like, if we don't have our kick to like, I got my world, you got yours. It's like, no, I want to use this. Talk. You know, it's like, well, no, I, I think we should use this, talk, you know, and it's just the little stuff. And really it's just, you need an outlet. You know, it's like kind of like the guy, when you're a man, like men need time with, with the guys and with, you know, just to get away and just kind of spend some time or with friends, you, you need your space where you can just be off. Like 
in you authentically. I want to do this so you can come back together and, and love on each other the way you need to. So I would venture to say, you know, again, marriage is not, I always tell couple marriage is not for the faint of heart and it is forever. And you have, it is a different language. Just like you have to learn how to run a business. You have to learn how to be married. You have to learn how to, to how to operate fully in a marriage. And the best thing to do is to partner with someone that specializes in human development, mm-hmm. which is counselors, therapists, other married couples that focus on that because they can help you again, learn the language of marriage. Nobody would ever get a new job and not get a mentor to help them with it. Nobody. Yeah. Like you. And so but, but, but for, some, for some reason, when we get married, we just think we don't need someone to teach us how to run the business. Like, no, like, if you stop doing what you're doing now, you went to work at Apple, you need somebody to explain to you the systems of, of Apple. Same if you were to go to Windows and a marriage is no different. So yeah, that's what we do. How has the importance of counseling been in your overall development as a couple, oh, man. especially co-parenting? Oh man, it's just been, this is the, the best thing about counseling is, is I'll sum it up this way. It's going to be a little dark at first, but then it'll get light. So mm. You know, I spend a lot of time working with p- victims um, that want to commit suicide. Mm. Uh, just in the pastoral space, everywhere I go, right? Like you do an altar call, you do this. Somebody is suicidal. Yeah. Somebody. And especially even doing now depression, all these things. And so the biggest thing that I find with every suicidal victim that is considering it is that they have locked themselves in a box mentally. And in that box, there is no way out. Hmm. In other words, my life is this way. It's never going to get better. There is nobody. Uh, I've been trying this. Like I'm, I'll never be better. And the box, the mental box, the way you get to suicide is because you really don't, you literally cannot see a way out. Yeah. And so you go, the only alternative is death. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's it. Mm-hmm. And I know because I think we've all had moments like in our darkest moments where we go, is life the best option? Right. And so what I have to spend time doing with victims of suicide is, and we've all been, is saying, hey, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but you got to get to the end of the tunnel. Yeah. It's getting them to see that what they see is not all there is. Mm. And if I can get anyone to see that, they break out and they go, okay, so wait, this too shall pass out. I'll get on the, like, yeah, if you just keep go, walking through the storm, you'll get to the other side of the storm. So what counselors do in marriage, which is amazing, is they help you understand that 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 where you guys have ended up, whenever you get there, whatever block in the road, is not the end. Because mm-hmm. as humans, we think we just know everything. <laughs> That's the best way to say it. Especially in relationships, bro, we get in... When you get in a relationship, you realize your way of doing something is the only way that you think works. And it's, it's like, it's nothing else. Like, and then when y'all clash, it's like, there's no way we can get out of this. She's not for me. I'm not for her. Her <laughs> way is never going to 
work my like it just, it just is what it, and the counselor sits you down and says well there's actually a third way and you're mm. like there is tell me more right <laughs> what is this third way right but you realize in that moment oh you know what there is because but i've never studied humans like them like mm. they have degrees in in how your brain works and so counselors really help you see the third way when you only think there's two and there's always a third way. Like yeah. me and Tony spend time always saying, yeah, we might be mad right now, but there's always a third way. There's always <laughs> something we don't see that it, that is on the other side of this. So yeah. um, it's been it's been paramount. Yeah, man. Well, bro, I've enjoyed this conversation. I think that so many people are going to hear this and be like, especially my audience. I assume that most of them are single like me. Like I have no marriage advice for you. I don't have any relationship advice for you except for to ask Jesus about it and go look up Sam Collier on Instagram. Go get the book like a greater story. Go pick that thing up wherever books are sold. I don't know what to tell you, you know. (laughs) So, man, just thank you so much for sharing this time with me and pouring into my audience man these these people are my family i guard them with my heart um and the fact that we were able to set this up to have this conversation just means the world that everybody could hear your story what god's brought you from and maybe be encouraged to keep walking through their story because if you're listening to this your story isn't over if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts ideation depression anxiety or anything like that please 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 do not wait Go get help. Help is readily available for you. Go check yeah. out anthemofhope.org, deathtolife.com, fearsaliar.co, um, the suicide hotline, crisis text line. There's just so many resources available to you that we need to find that third way for you. So we're all here for you and just keep living. Yeah. Bro, I love you. This is awesome. And everything you said, I want to echo it and say, God is with God is with us, and if He's with us, then you know what can who can be against us, and uh, what can what can stop us? So, love y'all, love you, man. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.